Every week we go to the scriptures because it's there that the person and work of Jesus are most clearly revealed. Our sermon this week comes from the text of Proverbs 31. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning to you uh, gathering online with us uh, as well. All right, we are beginning this week uh, a series in the book of Ruth. And we're beginning our, beginning our series in Ruth in Proverbs 31. Using Proverbs 31 as the introduction to the story of Ruth. Ruth, the story about a bride and her redeemer. And the bride and the redeemer. So why are we beginning a series on the book of Ruth with Proverbs 31? Well, it's not because these are typically the chapter in the book that are used for women's Bible studies. There, there is a real reason, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I do want to say this as we begin today. Uh, I am and we are acutely aware uh, that for uh, many of us, many of the women in our church, uh, Proverbs 31 has been used more like a baseball bat than a warm blanket, more like a measuring stick that you don't live up to and so you get beat up with it, than something that is a comfort and blanket to your soul. 
And we're hoping that by the end of the sermon, you will see that Proverbs 31 is meant to be much more warm blanket to the human soul than a bat that gets used as a measuring stick that you can't live up to. So let's talk Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is notoriously difficult to interpret. There are thousands of years of debate over uh, how to understand Proverbs 31, and it's difficult because Proverbs 31 is a proverb, right? It's a proverbial teaching. Proverbs are, um, you know, generally well-known, generally accepted statements. So, for example, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Proverb. So, it's a proverb, but it's not just a proverb. It's also hero poetry about a wife. So, it's a proverb, and it's hero poetry about a wife. And so, the debate is this. Is she a real person or a representative figure? Is she a real person that you can look at her life and you try to emulate her life? Or is she a representative figure that represents something outside and beyond herself? Um, This is a false and unnecessary dichotomy, and I think we're going to see by the end that the answer is just yes. Yes. And so let's get into the text, and we're going to look at this poem. This poem uh, that has an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. Uh, And we're going to look at it, intro, conclusion, body, in that order, and we're going to look at it under these headings. That she is a particular woman. She represents every woman. And she is the ideal bride. And I know for some of us, just in particular those who, as I said, this has been more bat than warm blanket for hearing the word ideal mixed in there. It may be a bit of a hair-raising statement, but just, again, stay with me to the end, and I think we'll see all together warm blanket, not a hard bat. All right? Particular woman represents every woman and the ideal bride. So let's talk particular woman. Let's start in verse 10. This is the introduction to the poem. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and who have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Okay, so here's the intro. We, the, the, an excellent wife who can find. An excellent wife, her husband trusts in her. She does him good, not harm all the days of her life. And this, this phrase, excellent wife, this is the, the governing phrase of the poem. And in a real sense, the rest of Proverbs 31 is him trying to explain what he meant by and what makes her this phrase, excellent wife. So let's talk about the word excellence, right? Because what's, what, what's not going on in here is that the word excellent, it, it doesn't um, have the same connotation that we often think of the word excellent, right? So I, I say often, man, that was an excellent meal. Man, those were excellent tacos. It's not what's going on here. This, the, the, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, translated into English, the Hebrew word here that, that gets translated excellent, it's used 245 times in the Old Testament. Almost all of them. Almost all of them in reference to an army or translated as army or valor, strength, courage, wealth, ability, competence. So if you read through uh, Exodus, you'll, you'll see often uh, Pharaoh's army, army, same word as excellent here. You read through Joshua, you see men of valor, 
repeated men of valor, sent men of valor in. Valor, same word as excellence here. This is not those tacos were excellent or that was an excellent meal. The sense of this word is much more strong, courageous, competent. Now, I do want to pause and say this. Don't hear in that independent. This is not an independent wife who can find. The word is strong, courageous, competent, not independent. And this phrase, excellent wife, this is also the link between Proverbs 31 and Ruth because of the 245 times it's used in the Old Testament, I could only find four. Maybe there were a few more. Maybe there were some I couldn't track down, but I could only find four that were in reference to women, all in Proverbs and in Ruth. And that link, it gets stronger when you realize that the Hebrew Bible, the the ancient Hebrew Bible, the way that that Bible was organized isn't the way that we organize it in English today. In In the ancient Hebrew Bible, Ruth followed Proverbs. And so if you pick up Genesis and you start reading in Genesis and you read straight through, it goes from a proverb about a wife to a story about a woman who becomes a bride. And so the opening question to this proverb, an excellent wife, who can find, that question gets answered a few pages later in Ruth 3 where she's called a worthy woman. Worthy woman, excellent wife, same Hebrew words. See, the point is the, the answer, the, the question gets answered in the story of Ruth, an excellent wife who can find what Boaz did, and her name was Ruth. And if ever there was a picture of courage and strength, it's Ruth. But more on that next week. So she is a particular woman, a courageous woman, a competent woman, and she is the introduction to the, bo- the, the book of Ruth. Now, Point two, she represents every woman. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. In the gates, that's the the, the center of the city, the place of economic and social, cultural creation. It's, it's where the esteemed went and where they spoke about the esteemed in society. And here it says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, um, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, and so she is known in the city gates where the esteemed speak of the esteemed. So charm, it's deceitful. Um, th- this word charm, and I apologize for doing a- another like Hebrew to English kind of explanation, but uh, there's just a lot that gets lost in translation, and I don't want us to miss it. This word charm, it's, um, it's not like, hey man, that, that, that girl, she's just so charming, you know? It's, uh, it's to be found attractive by men. The next time this word gets used is in Ruth 2, where she says, I, I want to go down after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Favor, same word. So I, I want to go down where he'll see me and find me attractive, appealing, desirable. And then beauty, it's vain, vanishes. It's gone in the blink of an eye. It's like a puff of air. Charm, being found, wanted, desirable, attractive. Beauty, deceitful and vain. Here today, gone tomorrow. 
what they do is they make promises that if you can look like this, if you can be like that, you will be wanted, desired, praised. But they make promises they can't come through on. But what does make the promise that it can come through on is being a woman who fears the Lord. Being a woman whose heart and reverence is fully submitted to the Lord. So what does that mean, fear the Lord? Well, um, I, I don't read a lot of fiction, um, and I know that for some of you that's confusing, and I am being judged in this moment right now by you. But I have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where in it the um, uh, uh, children enter a fantasy world where the um, events represent the biblical story and Christ is represented by this great lion. And when the beaver asks the children about the lion, they, um, or goes to the children, tells the children about the lion, they ask him, is he safe? And he says, no. No, of course not, but he is good. To fear the Lord is to know that the Lord isn't safe, but that the Lord is good. And he's not safe because he asks for your heart, your mind, your hands. He asks for all of your life. He asks to reshape what you think, for you to open the scriptures, to believe what you read, and let that collide with cultural assumptions. Listen, every single society under the sun, every culture out there, every one of them, Every one of them have baked in cultural assumptions that the scriptures are going to challenge. It's not a modern American Western statement. Every culture is going to have assumptions that the scriptures are going to collide with and challenge. And he's saying, listen, I, I want you to submit your mind to me, which means open the scriptures and let them collide with what you believe and let them reshape what you believe. It's not safe because he says, I want your heart. Listen, you, you and I, we are people shaped by what we love. We are molded to be like what we love the most, and we live like what we love the most. We are informed. It's a cyclical relationship between who we're loved by, what we're loved by, and what we love. He's saying, I want you to bring your heart fully submitted to me, not your kids and not your career. And then your hands. I want all of how you live. I want your life and your obedience. I want it to be fully conformed to me. That in this woman, we have someone whose mind, heart, and hands fully submitted to God. And so in that sense, we have a picture of faithfulness and submission to God, and in that she represents all women who fear the Lord. If you notice the wife, verse 10, to woman, verse 30, transition, that's the translators trying to pick up that sense of movement in Proverbs 31, that she represents all women who are submitted to the Lord. And... And we have a role model for wisdom for all people. That Proverbs are these collections of here's what real life wisdom and practice looks like. And it closes with this capstone, this picture of it in this woman in Proverbs 31. We have an example of what wisdom looks like for all to follow. Which takes us to point three. The ideal bride. Look back at verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Excellently. Same word from excellence as earlier. He's saying, listen, there, there are a lot of great wives out there. This is, you've got, there are a lot of great wives out there, but you, you are the one who surpasses them all. A lot of great wives. 
you're the best. And if you look at her life, right, I'll, I'll summarize a few points of it from the body of the poem, but if you, if you look at her life, it's like, of, of, of course. I mean, she was an entrepreneur, right? She buys the field, plants a vineyard on it. She had marketable skills. Right, wool and flax don't mean a whole lot to us, but if you could make garments out of them in those days, that was a marketable, desirable skill. She was a savvy businesswoman. She, she knew what was profitable and what was not. She flourished domestically. Her husbands and her kids sang her praises. And if that wasn't enough, she worked with her hands. She was basically the ancient version of Chip and Joe. All of it in a way. All of it in a way that builds her husband up. All in a way that produced esteem for him at the city gates. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Listen, where a successful wife, where a professionally successful wife could and can, not always, could and can create insecurity and shame in a husband, not here. It creates dignity, honor, esteem. Here we get a picture of the ideal wife. There are a lot of great, great wives out there, he says, but you surpass them all. And this is why, this is why so many women look at Proverbs 31 and go, I simply cannot live up. I simply cannot live up and feel beat down over it. If I could bring it into modern day terms, right, she is the homeschool mom with a successful career running a few side businesses who manicures the perfect garden and makes her kids clothes. And so women look at this and go, I am none of those things. Like I'm not, I'm not all five or six or seven. I'm not even one of them. I'm trying to be one and I'm not that one. I simply cannot live up to this. But there's one detail that I think might help clear this up and remove the bat and insert the warm blanket because there seems to be on the surface a contradiction in the text. Look back at verse 21, 22. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen, and purple. Two references to clothing in the text. Clothed in scarlet, fine linen, and purple. This was expensive, beautiful, luxurious clothing. Why two references to clothing that isn't just there to keep you warm, but clothing that if you went out on the town, you are going to get noticed wearing this clothing? Why two references? And here's the seeming contradiction. If beauty is vain, why highlight her beautiful clothing? If external beauty is vain, why two references to her clothing? Answer, because she is about more than representing a bride or women. She is a picture of the church 
Clothing throughout the Bible is a thread that runs from beginning to end, from the first book of the Bible with Adam and Eve covering their shame with leaves, to the last book of the Bible in Revelation 7, with people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Why a white robe? Because Proverbs 31 isn't the only time scarlet is used in the Old Testament. Isaiah 1, 18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That you were clothed in your sin like scarlet until the red blood of Jesus came and was poured out to make you white as wool. And this woman in the Proverbs 31 She doesn't just represent brides. She represents the bride to come. She represents the church. And so, of course, of course you can't live up. Listen, I want want the women of our church right now gathered in person at home online. I want you to hear this. Of course you can't open Proverbs 31 and just live up to it. You weren't meant to. You weren't meant to be all the things that she is, we were. She is a picture of the church. We were meant to be all that she is together. And and she is this picture of the ideal bride, representing the bride to come, which means you are the ideal bride. You are. You are the ideal bride. You are the bride that Jesus wants. And no matter how unwanted you have been made to feel, you are the bride that Jesus wants. In all of your mess, in all of your brokenness, in all of your past, you are the bride that Jesus wants. You are the one. A lot of excellent ones out there, but you surpass them all talking about you. You are the bride that Jesus wants. Male or female, never married and single, divorced and single, together we are the bride that Jesus wants. And of course, of course you've got issues. We have issues. But he doesn't want a future version of you and he doesn't want a future version of us. He wants you and he wants us as we are. Of course, of course we want to keep growing. Of course we want to keep growing and maturing and moving forward. But some of us today need to take a deep breath, knowing that for all of our mistakes, for all of our past, for all of the, if I could do this over again, you are the bride that Jesus wants. You are the ideal bride. We are the ideal bride. The church in Houston, the church across the globe, she is the ideal bride that Jesus wants wants. Some of us need to hear that and take a deep breath this morning. As you are, the bride that Jesus wants. In Proverbs 31, we are staring at our destiny together. Together. Because you are the bride that Jesus wants. We are the bride that Jesus wants. And Ruth, Ruth is a real-life story about a man who finds a bride to tell the story of the son who came into the world and died to make you his. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the men, the women, and the children gathered together right here, gathering online. I pray that we would see, that we would see ourselves the way that you see us. Give us eyes. Give us eyes in all of our mistakes and all of our regrets and all of our, if I could do this over again, give us eyes to see that we are the bride that Jesus wants. And then help us. Help us see that and enter into the story of Ruth next week. A story about he came to get us. Give us eyes to see that. Give us hearts to receive it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.